You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group, Lavazza, and American National Insurance. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Angostura. If you've ever made a cocktail at home, you've most likely shaken Angostura bitters into your cocktail at the very end of the cocktail making process. In addition to bitters, Angostura has been making world-class rum for more than 130 years. The next fall cocktail you make, Try the beautiful, smooth flavor of Angostura rum. It will transport you to the Caribbean islands of Trinidad and Tobago. The House of Angostura will celebrate its 200-year anniversary of turning drinks into cocktails in 2024. Cheers, everyone. To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by Lavazza. Four generations of the Lavazza family have been working to perfect the art of blending coffee since 1895 with a devotion to making coffee moments special. Signature blend Lavazza Classico, with its intensely rich flavor and sweet aromatic notes, is a celebration of the Italian way of life in every cup, and is available any way you brew your coffee. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. Welcome to To Dine for the Podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and visionary minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Jonathan Neiman. Find something you love that you would do beyond the money that you just believe in because it will get hard and there may be other ways to make money and know that the power of compounding is real if you're willing to stick to something for a really, really, really long time. That is Jonathan Neiman, the co-founder and CEO of Sweet Green, a mission-driven restaurant brand that serves healthy food at scale. Translation, some truly incredible salads. Jonathan and his co-founders started Sweet Green in 2007, opening their first location in Georgetown, just three months out of college. Their vision was to be everywhere, like a fast food restaurant, but healthy. Since then, Jonathan has been named to Fast Company's 50 Most Innovative Companies, Inc.'s 30 Under 30, Forbes' 30 Under 30, and Food & Wine's 40 Big Food Thinkers 40 and Under. I cannot wait to hear Jonathan's story of creativity, innovation, and ingenuity. Please enjoy my conversation with Jonathan Neiman. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? 
Well, how are you? Excellent. Thank you for being on to Dine For on this Monday morning. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You know, it's funny. I was um, watching some videos of you and conversations you've had with other interviewers, and I was really struck by how what great um, posture you have. You're you have me. <laughs> you have amazing. I'm like this guy has amazing posture. Really? Uh, you tell my mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she probably deserves the credit, right? <laughs> well, I'm going to begin this conversation the way I begin all my conversations because I really believe food is the great unifier. It's the great common denominator. It is one of my favorite topics. If you could take me anywhere, where would you take me as your favorite restaurant? You've lived a lot of places, but I'm curious as to what's up there as to one of your top favorite restaurants. You know, today I'm going to go with a restaurant in Jerusalem called Machne Yehuda. It's an amazing place. I don't know if you've, you've ever been there, but mm -mm. it essentially is, it's the farmer's market brought into a kitchen. And so mm. for me, it brings together so much of what I love of, you know, food driven by the source first. So it's all about the food, you know, directly from the farmers. It's right outside of the market. And there's no, the menu is whatever he finds that day. So the mm. chef, Asaf Granit, whatever he finds that day, he brings and you see an, a beautiful open kitchen. Everything's made there. It's a very, it's a small restaurant, but incredibly lively. You know, if you sit there for a little bit, next thing you know, they'll be handing you a shot of grappa or something fun to take with it. And there's, you know, lively music. And, you know, especially in this moment, I do wish I could be uh, there with so many of, of, of my people in Jerusalem. I always say that someone's favorite restaurant really begins to tell their story. And I love your choice because not only did you pick a restaurant for the actual quality of the food, but also for the sense of atmosphere and ambiance and the excitement and energy of being there and also as a nod to your culture. So thank you for sharing that. I really, really, really appreciate it. Let's, let's go back to your college years. You're at Georgetown. You have this seed of an idea for sweet green. Who has the idea and how does it all begin? So I grew up in Los Angeles. I'll take you back, I'll take you back a little bit. I grew up in Los Angeles. I ended up at Georgetown in 2003, well, almost 20 years ago. It's crazy to think. <laughs> and my my junior year in college, I went abroad. I went I went to live in Sydney, Australia. And I was really taken by the culture around food and the cafe culture that you've actually recently seen brought to America. And what was interesting for me is you had these incredible cafes that were beautiful and lively and had healthy food, but were they were the cool hit places to go. And they, we didn't have that in America. The cool hit places in the US were not healthy. It was really like the opposite. And so that really struck a chord of what, why can't we make healthy eating fun and cool and delicious the same way it was there. And there was this one specific restaurant called Green's Cafe um, in Bondi, which kind of became the original inspiration. So move uh, senior year, uh, we get back to DC, go get back at Georgetown. And two of my good friends, uh, Nicholas and Nathaniel, now my co-founders, we were always friends talking about businesses to start together. All of our parents were immigrants to this country and mm. entrepreneurs. And so we really bonded over that fact and want and knew we wanted to create a business together. And it really just started by us saying, let's solve this problem in our own life. We were all foodies. We all knew we wanted to start a business of some sort. And it was really that simple. It was, we wish this was here while we were students. Let's yeah. create and see what happens. And what started off as 
you know, a little experiment for just our friends that are on campus. Really, as we started to build it, we realized that the opportunity was so much greater. It's really stunning how few options for healthy food there are even today, right? Like if you, I live in, in Chicago outside of the city and the amount of fast food options that aren't good. I just recently went on a, a health journey of myself. I'm, I'm mostly vegan. And mm. to try to find something you can eat is actually quite difficult if you're eating out unless you cook it yourself. So I'm just wondering, you know, you think of three college guys, you don't think of healthy eating, <laughs> but obviously, <laughs> but obviously it was a seed of inspiration. It was the sheer fact that you identified a need because even as I say that, right, you were fulfilling the need that I just said. Yeah, it was, you know, we it was partially healthy food, but it was also the core of sweet green isn't while it's all about healthy food is really about real food. And the reason was, is we believe that real source, unprocessed food just tastes better. Yes. And it just makes you, not only does it taste better and it makes you feel good. And yes. so, you know, as foodies, all of the restaurants that we love, the restaurant I just mentioned earlier, all of the restaurants I love, it starts with the source yeah. and talk to great chefs. You know, we always have this funny balance between our chef and, you know, our head of supply chain, our chefs, like I give all the credit to the, the farmers and my job is to not mess it up. Yeah, yeah. And that was something that we really this this idea that we loved is the simplicity of just sourcing the best quality food because it tastes better and oh yeah, it's also really healthy if you do it that way as well. And so for us, I think we we saw that as a part of this balanced lifestyle. Like I still love to go out and eat, to, you know, all you know, all kinds of food. I you know, I eat, I eat everything. So much of food is only either entertainment or only fuel, but we really saw a place where we could bring those two together. Totally, I can see that very much so. I'm curious, I'm gonna take a step back before we launch into the Sweet Greed journey, because you mentioned all three of your co-founders are children of immigrants. What do you think, you can really only speak to your own experience, not to your co-founders, but what do you think that gave you? I think there's a, a few things. One was, you know, my parents came here uh, as immigrants from Iran in 1979 after the revolution. They were persecuted because of their religion and watching them have to start over, you know, really start their lives over and create a new community was just an amazing thing to see. I think the second thing I saw was my my father and his uh, two brothers started a business together and it was that partnership, the three of them, which ironically, this, you know, the three of us. Mm -hmm. Similarly, both of my partners their parents also worked with a family member in their business. So they were all kind of family businesses. And so in many ways, while Sweet Green, you know, today we're a public company, the three of us are partnerships as, as if we're brothers. It's like a, it is a, is a true partnership in that way. And I think watching, you know, the bond of my father and his brothers working together and putting the egos aside for the betterment of the business was the second thing. And I'd say the third thing, which I think is super important as a, as an entrepreneur is about resilience. You know, you you have good days, you have bad days, you have good years, you have you know you can have a stretch of bad years even, but being able to get up again and keep going. If you take enough shots on goal, eventually you're going to get one in. And you know, some of the people that seem the luckiest in the world just took more chances. And so yeah. I've had this belief of, you know, keep going, have, you know, I really value resilience. Uh, and it's something I think I learned from watching my parents uh, as entrepreneurs and immigrants to this country. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American national agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American national companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by Angostura. If you've ever made a cocktail at home, you've most likely shaken Angostura bitters into your cocktail at the very end of the cocktail making process. In addition to bitters, Angostura has been making world-class rum for more than 130 years. The next fall cocktail you make, try the beautiful, smooth flavor of Angostura rum. It will transport you to the Caribbean islands of Trinidad and Tobago. The House of Angostura will celebrate its 200-year anniversary of turning drinks into cocktails in 2024. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. So your first restaurant is in Washington, D.C. It's in Georgetown, right? Take me through, you get the restaurant set up, your first restaurant. In the first year or two, where is the pain point and, and, and how are you overcoming it? Take me back to that psychology of that first year or two. Yeah. So, you know, we opened the first restaurant August of 2007. It was a tiny little restaurant, about 500 square feet. It was a, what was an old burger shack, so tiny, tiny, tiny restaurant. You know, we open up August, starts off okay. By September, it's very busy. The students are coming back and things are going great. But as December comes in, the students leave. We have no seating. We mm. have very little warm food on mm. the menu. Very, you know, very salad driven at the time. Salads and frozen yogurt. And our business just falls off a cliff. And it's not like we had, you know, cash reserves or anything. And all of a sudden, we're like wondering if we're going to make it through the winter. And I just remember that winter being a very tough, long winter. But it forced us to really double down and, and think about the concept. And like we always used to say, never waste a crisis. So what, what, how can we improve the concept learning from that winter? How can we think about the menu differently? 
How can we think about building our culture during that time? How can we think about, you know, what the next restaurant looks like to be more resilient towards the winter? And so that was a really, really tough moment where we did, almost didn't make payroll. And I remember specifically, you know, despite it all, we had a holiday party with our team. And I, I remember like that feeling of like, nobody here knows that like we may not make payroll on, you know, on Friday, but we're here like, you know, having cheers for the holidays and just remembering that it's really important in those times to just just stick together and, and, and remember why you're doing what you're doing. And also, clearly, you, you you valued celebrating that moment, celebrating that holiday. You weren't going to cut out the holiday party, even though you're on the maybe on the brink of collapse here, <laughs> because that was important to you to celebrate the people who are working so hard. That's right. And another moment that was a defining moment for the brand was about a year later, we opened our second restaurant. We opened our second and third restaurant actually in the same month, also in in the DC area. And when we opened the second restaurant, it was really struggling. Just mm. out the gates, it was not Was doing it the well. location or what, what do you think it was? It was the right area on the wrong side of the street. Mm. And, okay. and we just didn't have the brand awareness. It was just on the wrong, like on the wrong side of the street, but we were right on DuPont Circle in Washington, DC. We knew mm. that. We knew that it should work. And right behind our, our location, literally in the parking lot outside our back door was the farmer's market, the biggest farmer's market in the city. And so we, we said, hey, our customers must be there. This farmer's market is packed with people. So what we started doing is on weekends, we went and got a giant speaker and a table, and we just started playing music outside of the store, just mm -hmm. literally like DJing on the sidewalk, playing music. And we knew that the, the key insight was just get people to try it, just get people to taste the food and they will come back. And so playing music, tasting the food, and this turned into a, like a block party. Every week it kind of grew and it grew. And by, you know, after a few months, we decided to turn it into a real block party. So we threw a block party with about a thousand people, local bands and artists, and it was this awesome event. All of a sudden a light bulb went off. Like this could be something really cool that defines the brand, not just the restaurant, but part of a movement and a culture. And so we decided we wanted to throw a festival. We started looking for venues. Wow. Where can we throw a festival for a couple thousand people? Very hard to find somewhere that fit a few thousand people that had infrastructure. And then we met a guy that owned a venue called Meriwether Post Pavilion. His name was Seth, uh, Seth Hurwitz in the DC area. And we started talking to him and because he also produced shows. And he's like, you know, I have a venue, Meriwether Post Pavilion. It has everything ready. It has stage, bathrooms, et cetera. But it's about 20,000, you know, if it's about 20,000 plus people and we, we kind of do the math, we're like, it might be less risky to do the place that fits 20,000 than the place with two or 3,000. And so we took a big bet. We booked the venue. We went out, booked bands. And in our first year, uh, the Strokes decided to play. Wow. And all of a sudden we had 25,000 people. And you did? You, you filled it up? Build it up, sold wow. it up, and we ended up hosting this festival for about seven years. It grew to a two-day festival, amazing acts, people like Kendrick Lamar and Lana Del Rey and Calvin Harris and The Weeknd and on and on, all performed. And the idea was really showing that you can have this amazing cultural moment, but also serve real healthy food in a sustainable way. And so it was, the festival was called the Sweet Life Festival, and it was kind of a manifestation of this sweet life and sweet green vision. Oh, that's incredible. And did you do it with the intention of creating culture or did you do it with the intention of bringing brand awareness? At first it was just like, 
you know, we were, you have to remember, we we're like 23 years old. So right. we're like, <laughs> let's have cool. fun. <laughs> yeah, this is, this, yeah. this sounds fun. This seems cool. This would be so differentiating for the brand, like yeah. a restaurant company hosting a music festival. And we saw the opportunity and we saw it really as a brand building. It wasn't necessary. It wasn't direct customer acquisition. There's so, you know, in the later years, we tried to quantify, did it bring customers in? And it was very hard to see if it actually directly brought customers in. But from a brand perspective and a culture perspective, it did so much. And, you know, you asked about culture internally. It was such a proud moment for the company. Everybody, you know, that worked at the company got tickets. You got to bring your friends. You know, you had to work a little bit to, to, to then enjoy. But imagine, you know, you have this 20,000 person festival and you work for this restaurant company and you have a backstage pass for this music festival. Right. So it did a lot for internal culture and it solidified us a lot from a brand awareness perspective as well. And just the morale of everyone who works there can take can take part. I can yeah. totally see that. You mentioned in the previous comment that you know you never let a crisis go to waste. What did that dark winter of sales going down? How did you pivot? Because you said that the winter people have salads; they don't have they want warm food. Did you grow your square footage to include more places to sit down when you're in D.C.? You want to go in and sit down. Maybe you don't want to take it home. What did you do differently because of that crisis? It was a few things. One was we thought about the environment of the restaurants, and the going forward, we realized that in most places, some seating was important, and having a vibe to create more of a cafe vibe was important. So to your point. That, that became a standard going forward. The second was menu. And it's, it's something that we're still really focused on expanding our, you know, slowly and strategically expanding the menu to open up different day parts. And mm -hmm. so when we first started, it was very much like cold salads. Lunch. After yeah. that, it was lunch. After yeah. that winter, we realized that, you know, we wanted to lean more into hot food. And so that's when we started exploring things like warm bowls yeah. and soup and, and, and other items. And this week is a big launch for us as we launch what we call protein plates. It's really our push into dinner. Today, about 35% of our businesses is that is happens at dinner. Okay. But we, you know, there's an opportunity to make that about 50-50. So, you know, tomorrow on the October 24th, we're releasing our new menu category called protein plates. Almost 60 grams of protein in a dish, no lettuce. It's, you know, rice or quinoa base with a protein at the center of the plate and, you know, grilled and roasted veggies. Uh, and like a sauce. And so taking this idea of sweet green about the sourcing and the scratch cooking, but then expressing it in a, in a much heartier way, hopefully hoping to expand our consumer base and our day parts. How many restaurants do you currently have? We have 220 restaurants today. Wow. Okay. So, you know, when you think about Jonathan right now in 2023, and you, then you think back to 2000, Jonathan, how have you changed the most? through this epic journey of creating a, a remarkable brand? Well, first of all, thank you. What's interesting is as a leader of an organization, you, your job changes mm. really every few months, every year. And it, you, know, you have to learn new skills and level up in what you do. And you know, going back when we first started, my job was making salads. I was a cashier. <laughs> you know, I was the manager of the store. I was right. the dishwasher. You were doing it all. You know, then, you know, once you have three stores, you were the area manager, you're managing three stores, but you're still kind of doing it all. And, you know, at slowly each step of the way, as you scale, you have to really grow yourself in order to be able to do the new job. Today, Sweetgreen's a public company. So, 
you know, had to learn how to, you know, over 6,000 employees, a public company managing, you know, so many different constituents from my investors to my board to my, you know, my, obviously my customer base, my suppliers and partners, and then my internal team members, which are split into my field team and my support center. And so, you know, what you learn is it's this constant balancing act of managing all these stakeholders. Mm. And as you scale, the complexity grows. You know, I think I've grown a, a ton, matured a lot. Um, but I always like to go back to why I started this and the original vision for this, because that's what keeps me going. Because, you know, we, we have you have hard days, you have hard years, but it's really looking forward to, you know, for what gets me out of bed continuously is is the impact that I think we can make with this. Really, if you think about, you know, if you think about Sweet Green, if we could open thousands of stores, the impact that can have on the food system and on the consumer's health and on those people that work for Sweet Green with better jobs, that's what gets me excited every day. You know, when you look at all of the different jobs and all the different hats you've had to wear, you know, from obviously, you know, you're not making salads anymore. Maybe you are occasionally pitching in just to get the feel of it. I do about, you know, about four or five times a year, I spend a day working side by side with the team. And it's something we actually ask all of our uh, support center employees to do. Yeah. So they get to, they know what the whole operation's about. But I'm just wondering now of all that you do, what part of it feels mostly you? Meaning, what is your offering? What do you think you're the best at for with all that you have to do? I think as, as a job as a CEO, you know, my job is, my core job is, is really a few things. One is setting the vision for the organization and pushing that organization to have these big ambitious goals and stay on track towards that. It's defining the culture that we operate in it's helping lead the strategy, but really, you know, allowing that a lot of that strategy to come from a bottom of bottoms away and it's building the team. Mm. So those, you know, there's so much, you know, on a day-to-day basis, unfortunately, there's a lot of other things I do end up doing, but at the core, that's really should be my job. And I think what I'm best at is setting that, that ambitious vision and really pushing that or our organization towards that, especially, you know, during tough moments, knowing that we will get through this and that what we're doing is not just the business, but has a really important impact. When you have to raise money, or ha- I'm assuming you've taken outside funding. Okay. We have, yeah. With, with three co-founders, is there one of you that's better at raising money? That has been something that I guess has been part of my responsibility. I think in the early days, it's something we all did, <laughs> yeah. but in the, in the past few years, uh, that has definitely been uh, part of what myself and our CFO has done. And I think we're very fortunate to have a lot of people along the way that really believed in what we were doing. So when we started off, it was just angel investors for the first six or seven years. And then we raised some money from venture capital. And then of course we went public about two years ago. And what do you attribute the success to? Like when you look, cause I'm sure you were in a lot of meetings where you got to know, <laughs> right? It's all about a numbers game, but I'm wondering like, what, what do you attribute when you did get funding what do you think was the magic sauce to that? And I'm saying this question specifically for other would-be founders as they go into the room. Maybe they could take a little bit of Jonathan with them. I think you really, you know, one of the things about raising money is it's like this gauntlet that you have to go through. And at first you get a lot of no's. And I think that it's that process is very valuable because it helps you refine your vision and your strategy. So each, you know, the way you have to think about each meeting is not just the pitch to sell, but it's, it's to learn and get feedback. Mm. And so with each meeting and each, you know, each investor, 
you know, you're, you're telling them your story and you're getting in and your vision for it and your how you're going to execute on it. But it's also getting feedback from it. And I think one of the things that we've done, we've done well is been very open to feedback along the way. So coming in with an open mind to saying, hey, we're we're open to your ideas. We actually want help. I think we were, you know, we always started with this naive mindset knowing, you know, beginner's mind, again, we were 22 years old when we started. So we knew we knew nothing. Right. Whereas I, a lot of people start businesses and they come in with it thinking they know everything. We came in saying, we actually don't know anything. Here's mm-hmm. our vision. Here's how we want to do it, but we want your help. Mm-hmm. And so we surrounded ourselves with really great people. And oftentimes, you know, there's the saying, ask for money to get advice or ask for advice to get money. A lot of times it was asking for money really to get advice. And so it was not just a check, but it was people that could help us and mentor us along the way. And we were very fortunate to have some amazing people that really supported us along the way. You mentioned that um, your vision, you kind of hinted at it, you know, you're in 200 plus stores, you, that you'd like to be in thousands of stores. What else is the vision for Sweet Green, and where do you see this company moving forward? Sure. So our vision over time is to create a global iconic brand that serves delicious, craveable, real, unprocessed food and makes it accessible to really, really to, to millions of people around the world. In doing so, we have to build an incredible local and regional supply chain. We have to build an amazing culture and, and a technology stack on how we operate. One of the things we're really focused on today is automation and how we can improve the customer experience as well as the team member experience through automation of restaurants and really just make this a restaurant that works eventually across multiple day parts. You know, today we're lunch and dinner. I see a world where breakfast could be on the table. I see us expanding our consumer base. You know, it's, we started in a very urban coastal environment and we're now focused on everywhere else. You know, it started and, you know, we're expanding a lot in the suburbs. And I do see the opportunity for Sweet Green to express our brand in different sort of ways. So whether that be different formats, such as drive-throughs in universities and airports and stadiums, whether it be the, the menu, you know, when we started again, it was just salads, but you've taken that idea of what we stand for and expressing it in different ways. So I do believe great brands will continue to evolve. You know, I look at, you know, certain brands that have done this well, Starbucks, you know, started with a simple cup of coffee Mm -hmm. and you look where it's come to today, the different store formats, the way the menus evolve, the global nature. And we really see us wanting to create a Starbucks type company a Nike kind of company and Disney type of company that is truly iconic uh, and stands the test of time. I can see why you say vision is your strength. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I get it now. I get it. Uh, what would you say to the young Jonathan or someone like you who is trying to hew out a path in the world of entrepreneurship and they're really just beginning? What advice do you give them? My advice is always around finding something that you're deeply passionate about. You know, we have this saying, you know, the way we define what the sweet life is, is the this world where your passion and purpose come together. Mm. And I think finding that thing where your passion and purpose come together, be willing to try a bunch of things to find that thing. But once you find it, sticking to it and the power of compounding is really incredible. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, some people don't realize we've been at doing, you know, working on Sweetgreen for about, you know, 16 plus years of working on one thing. And all of a sudden it's, 
a 16 year overnight success, but it's the power of compounding. And the only way to do that and have that sort of resilience to keep going and run that marathon is finding something that you really love. So find something you love that you would do, you know, beyond the money that you just believe in because it will get hard and there may be other ways to make money and know that the power of compounding is real if you're willing to stick to something for a really, really, really long time. Jonathan, thank you so much. What a fantastic conversation. Thanks for sharing a little bit of the sweet green journey and I wish you continued success. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, Lavazza, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.